0: Well, grab your Bibles and go ahead and open those up to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to continue to anchor our faith, build a firm foundation. We want to know and understand what we believe, why we believe it. Uh, as you are turning uh, in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 7, maybe you've uh, paid attention to some news going around on the United States, some Some uh, bad storms that took place out west, uh, specifically in Yellowstone National Park. It triggered evacuations, it cut off electricity, um, forced Yellowstone officials to close some of its entrances for the time being. And uh, it's just like the summer tour season is just beginning and they're shutting things down due to the fact that thousands had to be evacuated because hundreds of homes were destroyed. Storms washed away bridges, caused mudslides, left some small cities isolated in which they had to go in, forcing evacuations by boat and helicopter. And is quite the scene. And I didn't realize this. About 10,000 visitors to Yellowstone were basically told to turn back. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw the video. This is the part I saw was there was a a house that was sort of over a river. But as the river got to the flood stage and got very rapid, it started to erode at the foundation of what this cabin had been sitting on. Yellowstone uh, Park, there's a lot of people there watching this and videoing it. And, and again, I'm, I'm sure whoever the owner is, they're sitting there thinking, oh, what a beautiful cabin we built. Look at the location, look at the scenery. The, I'm sure the insides of it, you know, it just it felt so good, right? And then this takes place. Um, and basically because the foundation was unsure when the storm came and it fell apart. Now, keep that in mind as we, as we go into some of the scripture here because knowing what you believe, understanding your foundational beliefs are what uphold the rest of your faith and how you live. What do you know about God? What do you know about Jesus, the Holy Spirit, or God's Word? These are foundational beliefs that every Christian must understand and know, because we love experiencing the joy and the celebration that may be worshiping and singing or a concert, the, the spiritual high of a mission trip or some kind of event where you're at with a bunch of other Christians. Like you walk out of there thinking, man, I love Jesus. And you're all fired up and pumped up because your emotions are there, right? But along with your emotions, you must have foundational truth. that's a balance there. They go together. It's like, it's like owning a house. Some of you have your favorite stores in which you go to and you look and you shop and you're like, oh, I want that decoration. I want that piece of furniture. I want that wall. And you've got your house looking beautiful. And here's the thing. All those decorations are what make a house a home. It's your home. You've added flavor to it, right? But, but here's the thing. It's, it's the foundation of your home, though, that helps to stand firm. When your house is built, if you don't have a strong foundation, it doesn't matter what you put into your house. The decor and whatever it may be, that's all great. But you need a firm foundation as you look at a picture like this house here and you think, yes, without that foundation, no matter what you have in that cabinet, it's gone. Spiritually speaking, we too must have a firm foundation. So if you look in your Bibles of Matthew chapter 7, this is the scripture, the first thing that popped to my mind when I saw this picture was verse 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. It's like a person who builds a house... On sand. When the rains and floods and, and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now, Jesus is wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount here. So, a lot of times we get wowed and we're like, oh, did you see the miracle of Jesus? Remember, he walked on water, he fed thousands. Oh, look how he interacted with the people, the compassion he had. We get, we get very drawn into the stories of Jesus, but it's the teachings of Jesus that are very foundational. And so at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is a very long foundational teaching, we come to this and he's saying, by the way, like my teaching, it's foundational. And if you build your house, your life on what is foundational, what is strong, when the storms of life come, when pressures come in life, your house will remain standing. But if your foundation is weak, it will be crushed when that first storm comes. Jesus says, I want you to be hearers of my word but I want you to be doers as well. A lot of us think we just go do things, we, but then we thought of it, like, well, I like studying, but it comes together to help us build that strong foundation. So knowing what you believe means understanding foundational beliefs and, and acting on them. And foundational beliefs are set at a very early age. I mentioned a lot of statistics last week. I want to throw a few more of your direction this morning. Steve Cable in his book Cultural Captives wrote this. He said, if America t- continues on its current trend, the number of 18 to 29-year-old Americans who state, here it is, my religious preference is non or a non-Christian religion, Will grow over to 40 or I'm sorry 50 percent of the population that's of the United States by the year 2030. Are you, are you seeing this church? According to a certain uh, cultural direction that we're in right now in the United States, if the trend continues by the year 2030, over fifty percent of America will not believe in God or care to believe in God. That should be a little bit alarming to us, shouldn't it be? You know, we, we, we talk about how we said last week that A lot of young people, when they get out of high school and even before that now, they're leaving their faith. And we hope and pray they come back like a boomerang, right? And then we say, not only are they leaving their faith, they're leaving what they believe about their faith. It isn't like they're just leaving the church. They don't even believe in the resurrection of Jesus or certain things. And we say, Lord, help them come back. We pray that our, our children come back, right? But the scary thing is, is what we're seeing culturally now is they're no longer boomerang children. (laughs) They're arrow children. I mean, once you let that arrow fly, it's just shot in one direction. It's not coming back. And we're starting to see a trend in that culture as well. And I shared the the, the studies and the percentages last week. And here's the thing. Morals are set by age nine. Age nine. Morals are getting set. By age 13, your worldview... And most salvations have taken place by age 13. So by third grade, kids are already figuring out what team they're cheering for, what side they're picking, who they're going to side with, and who they're going to side against. So, spiritually speaking, where do they stand in siding with God? What decisions have they made? That's why a few years ago, actually about seven years ago, our FCA office, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, we decided we're going to start a camp. We're going to start a camp for junior hires, starting in sixth grade up through high school. Why? We want them to know how to read the Bible, how to pray, how to share their faith, how to start a Bible study in their school. Why? Because they need to know these things. It's foundational to their belief. Do you know that there are camps out there right now they are recruiting kids to come and have a great time and to give up faith in God? LGBTQ plus exclamation point asterisk. I don't know. There's so many things that got added onto the end of that, but they have their own camps. Atheists have their own camps recruiting kids to come. They're not going to put in their brochure. they got beautiful names to their camps. But once they're there, they're infiltrated with all of this garbage. Basically turning them away from God. So how important are the camps that we do? How important is it to get your kids to a, a Christian camp? How important is it for parents to us to be great parents in sharing truth with our kids? Because by age 13... They've already made their decision a lot of times of what they're going to believe and not believe anymore. We have an incredible, I believe, um, responsibility as parents, especially as a church, to make sure we are teaching truth to our young people. And then as far as adults, make sure we understand what we believe. We must have a solid foundation built on truth so we don't become like that house. You follow me, church? But what is truth? We start asking that question, right? Right? Our faith is built on what took place in history. When you you look and see in Scripture what took place in history, it's recorded right there, narrative form for the most part. So as you're reading through Scripture, as a Christian, we believe the Bible to be true, no errors within it. And will there be times in which you're going to be reading and you're going to be, I'm a little confused with this. I'm a little frustrated with this. Will that happen? Yes, it will happen because we don't always fully understand it. But in those moments, don't leave don't drift, stay anchored into the word, keep studying, keep learning. You may not have the answer, but you know where the answer is and you need to seek it out. And if you notice, Jesus discipled all these men and women around him for about three years. And he's like, let's build this foundation, let's build this foundation. And Then after those three years, what did he do? Look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. It says, I've been given all authority, in heaven and on earth, therefore, go and make disciples now of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, name of the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus like, listen, you've been learning, we've been building this foundation, now go. Go make disciples. I'll be with you. Whatever comes your way, I'll be with you. Again, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said this, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be what? You'll be my witnesses, telling people everywhere about me. Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the ends of the earth. Last week we talked about 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. that said this, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I have all these teachings. I have the the word of God in front of me. I am to be learning these things so that I can go and make disciples, so that I can go and be a witness everywhere, so that when somebody comes up to me and says, hey, tell me about your faith, I'm ready to defend my faith. And not like defend, but like to give an answer to, to give reason to why I believe. And and we learned last week that Peter was encouraging these believers. You got to be prepared. You got to be prepared. Are you prepared to give an answer? Somebody comes up to you and sees your faith. You wear a Christian T-shirt, or you act a certain way. They're going to say there's something different about you. Are you ready to give your answer? Are you ready to tell them why you believe about there's only one God? Don't be surprised if people ask you about your faith. If you're living in a way that you should be living. You're going to stick out and people are going to ask questions. And here's the other thing. God has this incredible plan that a lot of times He orchestrates things just specifically for you to meet somebody and have a conversation. It could be a waiter. It could be a waitress. It could be somebody you're standing in line with at a grocery store. It it could be somebody you run into. It could be at a family reunion. It might be at an open house. It might be at some kind of event. You're sitting there and all of a sudden the person next to you brings something up and it's like, we could have a conversation now. Am I ready to share my faith with them? I think all of us in this room, hopefully, is capable and able to do that. I I would hope so. Because if I were to ask you, what's your favorite team? Why do you cheer for them? You would tell me your team and you would tell me why you cheer for them. If I were to ask you, like, what kind of music do you listen to? and Why do you listen to it? You would tell me what kind of music you listen to and why you listen to it. You'd be ready to defend and give an answer to your styles that you have picked, the things that you've chosen in your life. So why is it any different with our faith? So why are you a Christian? Well, let me tell you why. I've chosen God's side. And you share that. And you do it gently. and You do it respectfully. Right? I was thinking about this this morning now, so it's like, okay, so let's walk through a scenario this morning, a foundational truth, and what we'll do is very simply this. Uh, We're gonna examine one foundational question. And this is so minute. I mean, it's so hard because we're gonna try to sum this up in the next 20 minutes or so. And how do I do that when this could be, again, you write books about this, okay? But what we're gonna do is we're gonna examine one foundational question and I'm gonna share with you my answer, how I got to the answer that I got on it. And then I'm gonna share with you how you can get there. And you gotta have your own answer. You ready for this? Okay, so here's, here's the foundational, where do we begin, right? Because we look at the foundation of, of our faith and there's so many places that we can be challenged. So I, I went with the first thing that came to my mind was I believe the first attack that somebody will put upon your faith is the God you worship. Who's the God you worship? It, it, for Adam and Eve, when the serpent came, what did the, the serpent do? Start asking questions. Oh, you sure God said that? If, if the devil can make you question the God you worship, you're in trouble. So who is the God that I worship? So I thought, well, let me start there. Um, but here's one of my first questions about God. because Okay, so we got the Bible in front of us. There's so much to learn about God. So let's pick one area about God. Is God good? Yes or no? We just sang the song. So if you're in here this morning, is he good, he's good, and you don't think he's good, then you're a liar. Because you sang that song saying he's good if you don't believe it, but if you believe it, you sang it this morning, right? Is that fair to say? Okay, because somebody's like, ooh, I sang it. Yeah, so you believe it. Well, at least he's, maybe you did Maybe you just stood there and you're like, I'm not saying it because I don't think he's good. Okay, that's fine. But here's the thing. If I say, is he good? And you're like, yes, he's good. Okay, so God is good. So if God is good, why does he allow suffering? Oh, are we going there? Yes, we are. This is one of those foundational truths I have to work through and I've worked through in my life. I'm gonna show you how we got there. Because I had to think about this. If he is so good and loving, why does he allow suffering? If he's all powerful, he could stop the suffering. But he doesn't always stop the suffering. So does that mean he's not good? You ever get those kind of questions before? Do you ever think about that kind of stuff? I mean, that, that's out there. And here's the thing. If you start wrestling with those kind of questions, and it's, it's like a trickling of water. It can turn into a flow of water, and it can be a flood of water. And if your foundation is not strong, it will wreck your house, spiritually speaking. You know what I'm saying? So you better make sure you understand why do you believe what you believe. So here's my, my first thought. Why is there suffering? I mean, God, if you're good, why, why is there suffering? Now look in scripture. And I read here, suffering produces character. I read that in the New Testament somewhere, right? Is that the way we work? I don't know where the address is, but it's somewhere in the New Testament area. I read character produces or suffering produces character. Okay. I, I get that because like stressful times, you turn up the heat in a furnace to stick iron in or metal in there, to sort of bang that metal around to make something. That's what we would do, right? And then so, but you got to get that fire hot. So when it's hot enough in the furnace, you can change it. If you get in the weight room, you go to work out, you might, when you're lifting weights, you're, you're breaking down muscles so that muscle grows back stronger. So in other words, I'm going to do a little bit of tearing and a little extra a little work, so that I can get stronger. So this suffering, you can go with either one of those illustrations, produces something stronger. Well, that makes sense then what Scripture saying, that suffering produces. Produces character. The problem is, I've had way too much suffering in my life. And every time something happens, something happens, something happens, I'm like, okay, God, you're producing character in me? I feel like I'm full of character. I've got enough. I've learned enough life lessons to write a volume, you know, 10 feet long, wide, whatever you want to say. Enough. I've got enough, right? So I'm looking at scripture and I'm thinking, so why does this keep happening? And, and here's the thing. Suffering can can come in many forms for for everybody. Everybody in this room has experienced suffering. Some of you might be experiencing some kind of suffering right now, some kind of pain right now. It it goes from, oh boy, where where do we start? Um, You have a child who's born with disabilities. You have a child that's born that's hurt. You have a family member that gets a car accident. You've had multiple surgeries over and over. Somebody's got cancer. Somebody dies. Your house burns down. You lose your job. Boy, we just keep going, right? Relationship that you thought was gonna last forever ends the, the next day tornadoes, earthquakes, fires. I mean, all these things produce suffering. Everybody's had some kind of suffering in here that's like one of those things that I just named or something else, right? I'm still trying to wrap my mind around the war in Ukraine. To be living life normally, and then all of a sudden you're being told that the country next door to you is coming and invading. You have to get out, and you're trying to get out, and you're running for your life. You're just grabbing whatever you can put in two hands. And as you go out, you hear bombs exploding. Your house is leveled. You'll never go back to that city again. That's going on today? Yeah. Why? Why would God allow all of these things to happen And so the question of good God and suffering, and that pounds the foundation of your faith, right? And so as it's going in, I think it's safe to say we all have these kind of questions. And the question is, like I said, it's it's pain is pain and hurts, it's just wrapped differently. So I go back to the Bible, okay? I wanna look in the Bible. I need to find story after story that talks about troubles, that talks about suffering, that talks about pain. And here's what I understand. This world's broken. Did you guys know that? The world's broken. We are living in an imperfect world with imperfect people. Broken world, broken people. So why am I expecting heaven on earth? It's not there yet. But I guess in my mind, I shouldn't be experiencing pain and suffering. I should be experiencing heaven on earth. But that's not yet. The reality is, it's a broken world. And we were never promised a pain-free life. We talked about that last week. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter eight. Interesting passage here in Romans chapter eight is Paul's writing. Um, I'm not going to uh, put all the verses up on the screen so you have to follow along or listen along. Romans chapter eight, I'm gonna start in verse 18. And Paul, the apostle Paul says, yes, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed later. He's like, okay, I know you're suffering. I know you're suffering. But glory's on his way. All creation. All creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Verse 20. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. Okay, let me pause there for a second. Back when Adam and Eve sinned, their lives, their relationship with God was distorted, right? It was broken. That wasn't the only thing. We learned that all of earth then, there was a curse put upon the earth, whether it was weeds, whether it was violence, whether sin just destroyed and decayed the earth. Our earth has been decaying since Adam and Eve, okay? So no matter what goes on politically in this world with green deals or purple deals or whatever, okay, this earth is decaying. And you know what will save this earth? Christ's return, new heaven and new earth, okay? We talked about that about a month ago. So when you look at the Scripture, the Scripture already told us this. The earth is cursed. All creation is subjected to God's curse. Read on. But with eager hope, the creation, look at this, creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. There will be a day when we are in the presence of God, new heaven, new earth. We will have new bodies, right? The earth will be renewed as well. Earth is looking forward to being renewed. Verse 22, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Verse 23, and we believers, we also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us for a foretaste of future glory, we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. See, we've got the Holy Spirit, so we've got hope within us, so we can handle rough times because the Spirit helps us, but our bodies are still looking forward to that day when when everything's gonna be made new. It goes on to say, We too wait with eager hope for that day when God will give us full rights as adopted children, including new bodies He's promised us. Verse 24. We were given this hope and we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't have yet, we must wait patiently and confidently. Church, that's us right now. We can be confident and patiently wait for the Lord to return, for us to have new bodies, new heaven, new earth. We can do that because God's Spirit is within us, but it is a period of waiting. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows our hearts, what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit already pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Look at verse 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to the purpose for them. It's like, oh, I didn't recognize that verse. Do you see where that verse fit in with everything else? The context, is, it's huge, right? We have hope for a new day and a new earth, eternal home in heaven. But here's the thing. Until that day, we're stuck here in a broken world with broken people. So in pain, we get mad because we got to blame somebody, something. Somebody's going to get blamed. Who's it going to be? So we can get bitter and we can allow our pain to crush us or we can seek answers, try to figure it out, We can struggle with unanswerable questions or or we can trust God. Place our faith in Him and then eternal hope. See, my faith foundation, again, I'm speaking for Rex Stump, begins with trusting God who is all good, who is all powerful, and I know this. I don't understand why God does things the way He does, Okay, I don't understand why God doesn't take my desires into consideration when he makes plans for the whole world. But here's the thing, that's because he's God and I'm not. And for me to want it the other way around means that I have to be God. I'm not qualified to be God neither are you. And so what I'm thinking about is to trust God in thinking that things should go the way I think it should go. That means I'm putting God in a box. That means I'm trying to define who God is. God is undefinable. God is indescribable. And to think that I can have an answer for every single thing in life means that I've already figured God out, and I've not. Because He is God. And as a Christian, that's where I land. I'm human. I want answers, okay? So I will go to God's word that He gave to us, humanity to learn as much as we can, to find as many answers as possible, but still realizing this, I don't know him fully, and neither will you until that glorious day when we are face-to-face with him. Then we will know more. But as I said, I go to the Bible and character after character. I'm telling you, there's story after story after story. As you read through the Bible, there's so many incredible stories. You start in Genesis, one of the first things that pops in my mind is Joseph. Remember Joseph? The one who had all the, the robe, the beautiful robe? Got a little prideful with his brothers. Oh, yeah, and then they stripped him of his robe, beat him up, threw him in an empty pit. They were going to kill him. Sold him off to slavery instead, made some money off of him. Prisoned, falsely accused, mistreated, forgotten. That was his story over and over and over. You talk about suffering. You know what happens at the very end of Joseph's story when he gets reunited with his family and everything gets good? Check out what he says to his brothers. Can you imagine this? After finally getting your family together, the ones that wanted to kill you, sold you to slavery, and your life has been miserable. But God took that rotten, suffering pain and did something with it. Look what he says. He goes, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. See, Joseph trusted God through all those years of suffering and pain and over and over and suffering and pain and pain and suffering over and over. He's like, "I, I trust you, God. I trust you, God. I don't know why I'm going through this. I'm just going to trust you. And in the end, he sort of figured it out. He said, I went through all of this so I could help all of you. I I went through all of this so I could help you. You've heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people. Maybe there should be another phrase like, healed people help heal people. Because that's the way God works. He works through our suffering. And the thing is, does, does God see your suffering? Yes. Did He see is he my suffering? Yes. Does He care? Yes. Will He make things right? Yes. Is it going to be today? I don't know. Tomorrow? I don't know. Ten years from now? Maybe. But in the end, yes. He will make all things right and new in the end. And who knows? Maybe some things will get even better for you between now and then. But that's His program because He is God. I think, wow, that, that, that's Joseph. What about, oh, what about Job? You guys all hear the story of Job? If, you, if, you, if you're not familiar with the Bible, and you're looking through the Old Testament, you see Job, that's Job, okay? And so Job's got this incredible story about his life. He, he was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God, he stayed away from evil. He had seven sons, three daughters. Listen to this. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 female donkey, donkeys. He had many servants. In fact, he was the richest person in the area. Sounds like he's living good, right? One day, Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house. A messenger arrives at Job's house with this news Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians raided us. They stole all the animals, they killed all the farmhands. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Oh, man, I just lost some of my livestock and some of my farmhands. Oh, and meanwhile, another servant comes running in while he's still speaking. Another messenger arrives with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all your shepherds. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. What? I lost all my sheep and shepherds? Oh wait, a third messenger arrives while he's still speaking. Three bands of Chodian raiders have stolen your camels, killed your servants. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. I've lost all that too? The richest man in the region, losing everything, gets worse. While he's still speaking, another messenger arrives. Your sons and daughters We're feasting at your oldest son's house. And suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness, hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed. All your children are gone. They're dead. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. At that point in time, Job stood up, tore his robe in grief. He shaved his his head, fell to the ground, and he worshiped. He just lost everything. His kids their families, all of his his livestock, his his job, basically all of his his money. He says this, I come naked from my mother's womb and I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave what I had and the Lord's taken it away. Praise to the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin by blaming God, which was amazing to me. And then you read the next chapter and his wife, why don't you just curse God and die? You got all these boils now and And he's like, no, I'm not going to curse God, right? And then the following chapters, his buddies show up, and we learn it's really nice, you know, because his friends show up and they just sit there with him. It's like, oh, thanks for just sitting with me. Because they didn't know what to say, right? Oh, then the next few chapters, they open up their mouths, and that's the mistake. Because now they're saying things like, oh, you know, you probably got sin in your life. God's punishing you. Oh, it's because you're a moron. That's why God's punishing you. Well, that was exactly what they said. But that's basically what they were getting at. And so, for the next few chapters, he's just like, he's hearing all this stuff, and it's, it's heartbreaking when you read through it. And then you get towards the end of the book, and things sort of change here. Because I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, I mean, how do, you, how do you handle all this? So, here's what I'm doing again, here's how Rex Stump handles good God, suffering. How do you handle this? So, I wrote down in my notes, personally, this is what I wrote We live in a broken and sinful world. Mankind chose self over God. And we've been feeling the consequences of a broken world ever since. So let's face reality. We live in a broken world. Here's the second thing I wrote down. It will get better. Maybe not today, but it will get better. And and you may not get over it, but you can get through it. That's one of Max Lucado's sayings. Here's the third thing I wrote down. You're never alone despite what you feel. Don't let your feelings fool you. When I went caving with uh, some of my friends, and we were in a dark cave, and we turn off our headlamps on, and we put our hands in front of our face, we couldn't see our hands right here. Our hands were right here, but because it's so dark in a cave, I, didn't, I can't see it, but I know it's there, right? And that's the way when the world gets dark around us and we can't see God at work, He is still there, despite your feelings, despite what you can and cannot see. That's part of having faith. Faith is believing in what you cannot see, knowing that it is true. When you get evidence of actually seeing something, that's just a bonus. When you see God at work, it's like, I believed it, I got to see it. And that just adds to our faith, right? So back to Job, chapters 30 and 39. God responds to Job, because Job finally gets to after all of his friends and stuff. He's like, you know what, God, I'm thinking about this. I am a little... I'm a little mad now, you know. So he sort of shares his rebuttal to God. Then God's like, let me clear my throat here, Job. He says this. The Lord answered Job from a whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself because I have some questions you must answer. Can you imagine God's audible voice coming to you saying, hey, brace yourself. I got some questions for you. Oh, no, right? Here it comes. And he goes, "'Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? "'Tell me if you know so much. "'Do you know its dimensions were determined "'or who did the surveying? Who? "'I'm sorry, what supports its foundation? "'Who laid its cornerstone? "'As the morning stars sang together "'and all the angels shouted for joy.'" Who defined the boundaries of the sea as it burst from the womb? And as I clothed it with clouds and thick darkness, for I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores, I said, thus far, no farther will you come. Here, your proud waves must stop. And then God just continues for two more chapters. And I'm sure Job was like, oh, embrace myself, because, you know, I didn't understand my suffering and pain. But that's because I'm human and He's God. And Job replies in chapter 40, and he says this, I'm nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I've said too much already. I have nothing more to say. Translation, you're God. I'm not. The sufferings I've gone through, I don't understand. But I trust you. Because if you can lay the foundations of the earth, and you can tell that wave to stop right there, I'm sure you're looking into my life right now, understanding what's going on in my life. And I know suffering and pain does not come from God. God is good. We live in a broken world. So that's where Rex Stump sits with the topic of suffering and pain. How I deal with it. How did I come to my conclusion? How did I, how did I build my foundation For this. Again, somebody comes up and asks me that question about good, you know, the goodness of God and suffering, I'm ready for an answer. Are you? Are you ready to give them an answer? I am. I've worked on this, right? So we gotta build stronger foundations to make sure we can have a confident reply when we share with people. So here's where to start. Let me put this up on the screen for you. First of all, know your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, get a Bible, start reading your Bible, study your Bible. If you don't open it, don't be surprised if you feel stuck. Okay, It's like purchasing a membership to a gym but never working out. I mean, just because you carry a membership to a workout place doesn't mean you're going to be in shape. And just because you carry a Bible around doesn't mean you're going to be spiritually in shape. You need to open it out. You need to physically get into it and start working through God's Word. Engage, intentional uh, about it. Carve out a natural study time saying, this is what I'm going to read, this is what I'm going to study. And then gather with like minded Christians. People who will study with you as you work through God's word together. That's one of the best ways to grow through God's word. And then the fourth thing is gather resources that are trustworthy in your study. Investigate. And what I mean by that is is this. There's a lot of people out there that write things about the Bible that aren't true or they've brought their worldview or progressive Christianity into the topic of whatever it is. And so you might be getting something that sounds pretty good, but there's some underlying cracked foundations there. The History Channel, if you've ever watched that, it's like, oh, they got a thing on Jesus. I won't trust it, sorry. Okay. A lot of producers out there on TV, you got to do your research, make sure you understand who they are, take it with a grain of salt, say sometimes that's entertainment, there might be some truth in it, but gather trusted resources when going through God's Word. Last thing is this, pray for discernment. What I mean by this is pray that whatever you see, you will understand a little bit more whether it is helpful or hurtful to your faith foundation. God, as I read this, help me as I'm building my house, as I'm building my foundation, as I'm choosing my location to build, God, help me know, is this the right thing? Is this the right way to go? Is, help me to understand the scripture that I'm doing it. And, and for parents in here, here's the thing, we talk about the younger generation. For parents in here, how do you help the younger generation do what I just told you to do as well. How do you help them get to answer questions about their foundation? Ask them questions like this up here on the screen. First of all, have you prayed about? So let's, let's use an example here. One of my sons comes up and says, hey dad, this, I'm going to make this choice in my life or I'm going to do this. And here's the questions we need to be asking our kids. Well, have you prayed about it? I hear my wife, Jenny, say this all the time to my sons. Have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about it? Have you, have you taken this to God? Here's the second thing. What would Jesus do? I know it's sort of that, that old thing of the wristband, WWJD, but seriously, what would Jesus do in this situation? Well, don't you think maybe you should do it too? The third thing up there is, does this help or hurt your faith? If me making this choice is going to hurt my faith, then I probably should not do it. If it's going to help me in my faith, then I probably should engage in it. Use that as well. And here's the last thing, have you investigated. What I mean by investigate, um, Many years ago, and I've shared, I think, this website with you. It's called PluggedIn.com. PluggedIn.com. It it's basically helps you with faith and family, with watching movies, listening to uh, music and video games. And what you can do is, you, like for instance, if like any movie that's out right now, you can go on that website, click on that movie. It'll tell you what it's rated, why it's rated that way, how many words are in it that are swear words or the violence or the sexual activity. It's going to tell you. It's going to warn you. And then it's going to say... This is what the plot is. This is what the story's about. Okay, now, why am I sharing that with you? Because this is what we shared with our kids many years ago. Hey, we're going to go watch a movie with our friends. Have you checked it out? You know what's in it? Instead of us saying, oh, man, they're going to go see that? No, 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 no. Because I could. We could do that as parents, right? We're allowed to tell our kids no, okay? So I could say, no, you're not doing that. But here's what I want them to do. I want them to learn to say no or yes. So go to the website. Check it out. They go to the website. It's like, so what do you think? I eh, probably shouldn't see it. Oh, okay. Let them come to that conclusion on their own. Because as Christians, we want to raise up our children to what? To be able to handle the things that come before them. Instead of me making the path nice and clear for my kids, I need to help my kids be strong enough to walk through the path of life that they're going to face. So, have you investigated? These are questions you can help your kids do in all this. Uh, worship team, would you come forward, please? Now, I've shared with you a foundational truth, how I handled it. I shared with you how you can get there. Maybe how you can help your kids get there. But we got more to do, okay? Because here's the thing. I, I basically said, you need to be in God's word, right? You need to be studying God's word. You need to get in God's word. But now the question is, can I trust God's word? Well, we, got, we probably got to answer that one too, right? Next week. Next week. Because people are going to ask you, why God's word? You might have a Jehovah's Witness come to your door and they've got a different Bible than you. There's different faiths out there with different Bibles. What makes, what makes our Bible different? What is it trustworthy? That's the kind of thing. Well, we can talk more about that next week. Now, dads, men, if you remember Mother's Day, I spent a whole sermon talking to ladies about how valued they were, right? And you're like, you didn't say anything to us men. I just did. This whole message is for you. Because about the leadership of the man in the house, Helping lead this who is. I remember going to the Dominican Republic many times and there was such a huge emphasis on help men know Jesus. You know why? Because if the man of the house gets saved, there's a better chance for the rest of the house to be saved. And if the men are not engaging, why would the rest of the family be engaged? Gentlemen, a lot of this message was for you as well. So hopefully you tuned in. Would you stand please? You got a little tool, man. It's like, hey, I can use this for certain things, right? It's a, it's a great tool. It really is. It is, This is gonna be your better tool. And we'll get more into it next week, but start getting into it right now if you're not already there. Let God speak to you through his word and direct you to build a strong foundation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are that you give us your words to help build a foundation for us to stand on because this world is full of storms that will really rock our spiritual home. I'm so thankful, God, for a foundation that I've learned from my father who learned it from his father, I'm so thankful that, hopefully, Lord, that what I've learned, I can be as a father to my sons as well. God, I pray that from our gathering here today to worship you, we are reminded you are God and we trust you and we want to build on that foundational truth and we want to be able to share that with everybody. So God, as we get ready to leave this place, I pray, Lord, that your spirit will encourage us, that we will be more curious about your word, that we will seek you more, that we will come to you in prayer, and that we will open up your word and read it. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for this church. Thank you that we could worship you today. In thy name we pray. Amen.